We're going to continue today in our series um, that we've been doing for Christmas. So we have this week and next week, and that will be the end of our Christmas series. Uh, Come, let us adore him. And we've looked the last couple weeks at who Jesus is and why he is worthy of our worship. And the first week we looked at Psalm chapter 8, and we saw there Jesus, uh, our, our Lord, who is exalted there. Uh, he is magnificent. He is marvelous. Uh, we saw the things that said about God that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Last week, at the end of our, our kids' program, we took a few minutes and looked at, at Mary's song that she sang um, when, after the angel had, had told her what was to happen, and she visited with her cousin Elizabeth, and we saw there how Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies. And today, we're going to look at something else that happens in the very early life, uh, the earthly life of Jesus, and see that Jesus is our redeeming Savior. And next week, we'll look at Jesus, our eternal King. And this is what we see throughout this season, who Jesus is and how we're called to respond to him because of who he is. And let's look today at Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. If you're not there already, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And, and most of us know Luke chapter 2, at least the first part of Luke 2, because it, it contains what many call the Christmas story. Maybe you grew up in a home where you read that every Christmas. Or maybe you are a parent who's read that every Christmas to your kids. And next week when you come on Christmas, surprise, surprise, we're going to read that passage next week as part of our service. But we go further into the chapter and we see this, this idea of Jesus, our redeeming Savior, and how it comes out in these interactions that take place when he's very young. Look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also and The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineal of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke uh, spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word for the next few minutes and to see within it these things, these promises that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that he is our redeeming Savior from sin. Lord, even when he was very young, it was testified of him in this manner. And today, Lord, would you overwhelm us with who you are and what you've done in Jesus Christ. And would you help us to fall down and worship you today 
Would you draw our hearts closer to you? Lord, for one who is here today who is struggling with whether or not they know you as Savior, would you show them their need of you and draw them to yourself? To the Christian, Lord, who has things going on in their lives that they need to surrender to you, would you show them how much you long for a right relationship with them? Lord, would you help us today to walk out of this place different than we came in because we have heard your truth proclaimed and your Holy Spirit has applied it to our hearts and lives. your name we pray. Amen. There's an old saying that goes, you're only as good as your word. Now, to an honest man, this is an important phrase and really as a life's motto. But in a society that continues to choose sin over right and continues to push the limits of that sin, and the lim- that this seems to be a fast disappearing virtue in our world. Sadly, would you agree, the word of many people isn't worth much anymore. However, with God, he has always been as good as his word. And you need only to take a peek at scripture to understand that, that everything God says, he does. That is why Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, called him the faithful God. Or in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, a God of faithfulness. The psalmist in Psalm 33, 4 declared that all his works are done in faithfulness. And in Psalm 91, 4, that his faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Because God's faithfulness is something that we can count on. And it should lead us to proclaim with Jeremiah in Lamentations 3.23, great is your faithfulness. The Old Testament pages are replete with promises made and promises kept by God. He promised Abraham and Sarah, despite their old age, they would have a son, and he delivered. He promised Israel, the land of Canaan, and he brought them safely in, giving them victory over their enemies. Over and over again, we see God make promises and fulfill promises. And God promised to David that there would be a son who would establish his throne forever, and one day that will come to pass. But throughout the Old Testament, You can find promise after promise after promise, but the grandest and greatest promise was this. One day, there will be a Savior. One day, there will be one who will take away the sins of the world. He would come to redeem his people and bring them back to God. And in Jesus, that promise was fulfilled. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For all the promises of God in him, that is in Jesus, are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now understand, at the time that Jesus came, not everyone in Israel was looking for a savior from sin. But some were. Some clung to the precious promises of the scriptures and of God longing for the day that the Messiah would appear. And in our passage that we just read today and that we'll take the next few minutes to, to look into, we meet two of these people. And we offer our praise and adoration to Jesus with them as we worship Jesus, our redeeming Savior. And what we see here is this, that Jesus is the hope of salvation for all mankind, worthy of our faith, trust, and greatest praise. There is only one hope for salvation from your sin. 
There is only one hope for eternity. There is only one place where you can put your faith and trust and know that it is not misplaced, and that is in Jesus Christ. And because he is that hope, he is worthy of your highest praise. And that is exactly what we see in the lives of Simeon and Anna, two of those people who in the remnant of Israel were looking for the Messiah. And when they met him, though he was just an infant, they offered him the praise he was due because he is not just an infant, he is the eternal God. So let's look at that today. And the first thing we see in this passage in verses 25 and 26 is we see that promised appearance of the Messiah. We meet this man here, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We meet a man here whose name is Simeon. So let's talk about him for just a minute and and understand what's going on. What you have to understand is why Mary and Joseph and Jesus were where they are when this account takes place. You see... Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to complete the expectations of God regarding the purification and presenting of a child. You can read about this in the Old Testament, specifically in Leviticus, in the law of God, and and what God expects that when a a couple at this time had a child, what they would do uh, as part of, of their worship to God regarding that child. And they would do this here, as we said, in the temple at Jerusalem. And it is here, after they've, they've brought him here, and after this occurred, that they meet these two people. And these people give testimony to who Jesus is, the redeeming Savior of men. And they offered this to this little baby the praise and adoration due to him as the eternal Son of God. So the first one we meet in verse 25 is this man named Simeon. Now, understand that Simeon is quite a common name in Israel at this time. Simeon's name means God has heard. But what makes his name common, you may remember this, is that that was the name of one of the 12 sons of of Jacob, who then became the 12 tribes of Israel. So it was a pretty common name to name someone Simeon. Now, beyond his name and what we're told here about about how he lived his life, we really don't know anything about Simeon's personal life or his age. Now, because of the content of the interaction that takes place, we assume he was an older man. We're not told that specifically, but again, we assume that from the content. We do learn, though, a great deal about Simeon's walk with the Lord, because we understand he was a man concerned with God's ways, and he lived them looking forward to God's promises, because we are told that Simeon was two things, that he was a just and devout man. Let's take those words and look at them for just a minute. That word just literally means that he was righteous. And it carries this idea that he was one who was approved by God. How is anyone who has sin in their life approved by God? The only possible way that that happens is by coming to God in faith and trust. It is impossible for you and I to have righteousness in and of ourselves. But it takes the imputing work of God in our lives that to declare us righteous. And that is true of anyone who came to God before Jesus Christ lived, just as it is true for anyone who comes to God after Jesus Christ. You look at men like Abraham, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Righteousness is only found through faith in God. Thus we know 
that Simeon lived a life of faith, of complete trust in God alone. Secondly, he's only described as a just man, but he is described as a devout man. Now, this is an interesting word because the Greek word devout is a word that's used only by Luke in the scriptures. You find it here in Luke's gospel. You also find it in the other book that Luke wrote in the New Testament, which is the book of Acts. Okay, so he uses it here, he uses it there. And this word, it carries the idea of, of cautious, God-fearing, and reverence towards God. What it means is that not only was Simeon one who placed his faith in God, he also sought to live his life for God. Because faith in God transforms the way we live. The two don't go without each other. You cannot live for God unless you have faith and been changed by God. And if you say you have been changed and have faith in God, as James says, show me your faith by your works. It works out in your life. He lived for the things of God. And so, it should not surprise us to see what he is doing in his life and how God has empowered him. Because he is one who has faith and trust in God and one who lives for God, he lives his life looking ahead for something. It tells us that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What that means is he was looking for the comfort or the encouragement of Israel. It was a personal consolation of salvation for himself and for a nation ready to be delivered from sin. So you understand Jesus was born in the nation of Israel during trying times. The nation of Israel was not under its own rule, but under the rule of the Roman Empire. The faithful remnant of people longed for their Messiah to come. Now many wished for that Messiah to come to be the conqueror of the invaders of their land. But there were those who, like Simeon, knew there was more that the Messiah would do than simply drive out the Gentiles. He was instead coming to save his people from their sin. They knew that he would come to open a new and better covenant. His would be a covenant written on the hearts of his people as predicted by the prophets. And the Messiah then would be the comforter of the nation and the comforter that mankind so desperately needed. As Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. It was for this comfort and for this consolation that Simeon yearned. So many who know the Lord and have walked with the Lord in their lives, do you feel that even today? No, we don't look ahead for the Messiah to come and redeem, but how many of us said, come quickly, Lord Jesus? Because he is our comfort and our consolation. And just as Simeon looked for the first appearance of Jesus Christ, we who are Christians look ahead to the second appearing of Jesus Christ when he will rule and reign for all of eternity. And in trusting and seeking to serve the Lord, we see that Simeon was not on his own, but he was met with God's power. You look at the end of verse 25, it says, And the Holy Spirit was upon him. You know, oftentimes we think about the old the Old Testament, and we think about the Holy Spirit, we don't really think much about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament because we're, we're so caught up with Acts and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't active in the Old Testament. 
And here, Simeon, who, who really is an Old Testament saint, we see that God does use his spirit to convict hearts and to empower his servants. He would rest his spirit on his servants that they may serve him. You see, under the old covenant, under the, the, the covenant that God made with his people there on, on Mount Sinai, the person and power of the Spirit would be with those who trusted in God. But under the new covenant that we often think of with the Holy Spirit, would the Holy Spirit be, be revealed in a better way because he would not rest on believers, but would reside in the hearts of believers. God's Spirit was with Simeon. Guiding him, and and through his spirit, God revealed a great truth to Simeon. We see Simeon's expectation in verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. See, God made it clear to Simeon that he would not pass from this earth until he had laid eyes on the Messiah. That's what the word Christ, the anointed one, it's it's the Greek word for the Jewish term, the Messiah. And so Simeon longed and watched and waited for that Messiah to appear. And God promised him it would happen in his lifetime. It was the grace of God that promised and revealed this to Simeon. And we must understand this was a very unusual privilege that Simeon enjoyed. God would sometimes speak to his servants in the Old Testament. And in these unusual times, his perfect grace and plan sometimes was revealed. You think of someone like King Hezekiah, whom the Lord told he would, he would live for 15 more years. We don't always, you don't always get this specific revelation for every person who lived. But Simeon here had the specific revelation for his life. And so with this promise in his heart that he would see the, the, the Christ, Simeon faithfully served his God. And now with Jesus' family in the temple... We see the fulfillment of these things of Simeon's response to them. We see, secondly today, in verses 27 through 32, the praise of hope. We see Simeon's arrival in verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Simeon had enjoyed God's personal revelation in his life. He had received that promise of seeing the Messiah before his death. So therefore... Knowing who Simeon is and and how he lived his life and how God has already ministered his grace into his life, it should not surprise us that the Holy Spirit impresses upon the heart of Simeon and leads him into the temple that day to see the Messiah, revealing to him that he is there. Now the word here that talks about the temple is not referring to the inner part of the temple, but those outer courts, the complex of the temple where these things that, that, that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to undergo would have taken place. And it is here that Simeon meets Jesus' family, led by the Spirit of God. And we see that not just beholding, but he actually takes up Jesus in his arms. It says, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, More than merely beholding, Simeon is is holding the Messiah. Just imagine, if you would, the life of expectancy that Simeon lived. Knowing the promises of the consolation of Israel. And then waiting for him to appear like so many before him. 
And now he's received God's promise of seeing the Messiah. And now, not only does he behold the Messiah, but he holds that Messiah in his arms. And if that were you, and if that were the life that that you had lived, and the blessing and the grace of God that you experienced, how would you respond? Hopefully, we, like Simeon, would respond in praise and worship to God. And we see that here. We see Simeon's praise. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon is, is overcome with praise and adoration to God for the gift of his son. And he is now at peace. He is content with God's provision for salvation. Therefore, Simeon is prepared to leave this earth. That's what's meant there by that phrase that you are letting your servant depart in peace. He was ready to leave this earth to die because he had seen the promise of God fulfilled. But more than that, he was departing in peace with God himself because Simeon was right with God and had seen the provision of salvation. You see, here's the thing. If if you do not know God, as your Savior, if you don't know Jesus Christ, there is no way to depart in peace from this life. Apart from trust in God alone, you cannot find true peace in this life or the next. Those who do not know God do not approach the end of this life with peace, but with fear and uncertainty and hopes and dreams and wishes that will find no, no ground. Because the only hope of peace comes from Jesus Christ. And those who know God know what, be, what, what is beyond death and that eternity that waits them. That is true peace. And so according to God's promised word, Simeon has experienced what God said he would. God made a personal promise to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And because God is faithful. He gave Simeon the fulfillment of that promise. The little baby that Simeon holds in his arms is the eternal son of God. He is the lamb who will take away the sins of the world. It is a salvation that is prepared before and extended to all peoples. Countless Jews believed the Messiah would come simply to establish rule and reign over all ousting the Gentile invaders and subjecting them to his rule. But God's plan was much different, and Simeon understood that. He said in verse 31, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. He understood that the baby he held in his arms was the savior of all mankind. Any and all who come to God through Jesus will find salvation from sin and be given eternal life. That wasn't a message that was just limited to the Jews. It is a wonderful, open invitation. And of course, in all this, glory will be given to God's people, Israel, because God in his grace chose Israel as his own special people. And through them, this wondrous salvation will be brought about. And one day through them, Jesus will reign over all the earth. The Israelites 
were called throughout their history to be missional in their thinking, to proclaim the goodness and the greatness of God to other nations. And they really didn't do this very well on a regular basis, right? If you look throughout the history of Israel and and how the the Israelites were supposed to to show the greatness and glory of God to other people, they, they really didn't do a great job because they were often out of sorts with God themselves. But that doesn't thwart the plans of a gracious, eternal God. And if you want to take a microcosm of that, take a man like Jonah. A prophet who was sent by God not to Israel, but to Nineveh, to the capital of the nation that would enslave the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. And how did Jonah respond? He responded so so well, right? He went and threw himself off a boat and tried to get drowned. And I preached that sermon series. You can go listen to it, okay? But Jonah is an excellent microcosm of what the nation of Israel didn't do and how the sovereignty of God is greater than that and how the, 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 the passion of God is greater than just one nation. It encompasses all people. And that's exactly what Simeon proclaims, that, that the glory of Israel would be seen in Jesus Christ, but that the saving power of God was not limited to one nation but is open to all. And for that, he is due our undying praise and adoration. Because the work of Jesus would be carried on in his life. And now Simeon prophesies about that coming work. We see in verses 33 through 35 the prophetic declaration that Simeon makes. <clears throat> Let's see these marvelous things in verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Just, just put yourself for just a minute in the shoes of, of Mary and Joseph. Now, How many of you in this room, at one point in your life, whether it's now or another point, were ever young parents? Do we have any of those who were young parents? Okay. Those of you who aren't young parents anymore, don't you remember those things so fondly? Right? Not sleeping. Trying to keep your kids alive. All of those things. Right? Now, if you have that picture, understand what Mary and Joseph are going through. Understand the things that they have seen and heard in their lives, especially Mary. An angel appeared to Mary, telling her that she, an unmarried woman, would have a baby by a work of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph also has an angelic revelation telling him everything that is happening. Just as God promised... The baby was born in the city of Bethlehem in a humble stable. And then that night the baby was born. A joyous band of shepherds comes to see the baby. And how did they know where the baby was? Because the angels appeared and told them. Now they have heard this presumably older saint walk across the temple courtyard and hold their baby and declare the praise of God because of the coming salvation of God through their son. That is a lot to take in. That is a lot to process. And we surely, we read here what what happened to them in verse 33. If any of us were in the same position and Joseph and Mary marveled at those things which were spoken of him, we would marvel with them. We will read 
several times that, that Mary would take these things with her in her heart, pondering their wonder and their meaning. And she would observe Jesus' life and would find everything that was said about him to be true. And Simeon now continues, proclaiming the coming work of Jesus and Mary's own expectations. Not only they're marvelous things, but we see Messiah's work. He says, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon blesses this couple before him that they, new parents, have much to learn and look forward to in life. But in particular, though, he speaks to Mary. He wished her to hear and understand what lay ahead of her in the life of her son. And it's interesting that it was addressed to her and not her and Joseph together. Now, we presume that this is because Joseph most likely passes away before Jesus begins his earthly ministry. In fact, later in this chapter, you read of something that happens when Jesus was 12 and they go to the temple. And that's the last time by name Joseph is ever mentioned in the Gospels. Jesus is destined to do the work of his heavenly father. And so he is destined in his earthly life to see certain things happen. And Simeon talks about these things here. First, he is destined, Simeon says, to be, to be himself, not just to see, but to be the fall and rising of many in the nation of Israel. What this speaks of, this speaks of Jesus' determination of the destiny of other people. And as Lord, Jesus alone is able to do this. See, there will be a separation that takes place in Jesus' life. There will be those who recognize him for who he is and will rise in eternal life found in him. And then there will be those who do not recognize but reject him and they will fall and stumble into eternal judgment. There is a separation based on your acceptance or rejection of Jesus. As Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 15, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Those who reject Jesus and the necessity of faith in him will find an eternity of judgment awaiting them. Those in Jesus' own lifetime seeking to oppose him and his message, they stumbled mightily as well. But those who will humble themselves before him, those who will humble themselves before Jesus Christ and trust them as their Lord and Savior will be exalted beyond degree. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but by Him. And so there is a natural separation that happens and that comes with this truth. Those who believe in Jesus Christ go one way into eternity with Him. Those who do not go the other into eternity of judgment. Jesus is not only one who will determine the destiny of those and there will be a separation, but he is secondly a sign that will be spoken against. At the end of verse 32, a sign which will be spoken against. Because Jesus signals the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. He is God in flesh, come to draw men to himself and thus bring them to the Father. Yet, Jesus would not be universally accepted. In fact, he would be widely rejected. And ultimately, he would be crucified. And the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the ultimate rejection of his own people. But at the same time, in God's perfect plan, it would usher in fully the plan of God as Jesus became the lamb who was slain. But this rejection will be felt by those who were closest to him as well, namely Mary. And in this prophetic declaration in verse 33, Simeon alludes to Mary's sorrow that she would experience in her own life. When he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary is warned that she herself will feel the sorrow and pain of Jesus' rejection and death. And at the inception of Jesus' public ministry in John chapter 2, Jesus distances himself from Mary. Not out of disrespect, but because because he had work to do of his heavenly Father and, and because she needed him as her Lord and Savior just like anyone else. This does not mean that Jesus did not care for his mother. Indeed, on the cross, one of the last things he did was call for his disciple John to care for his mother Mary. But Mary's suffering in life would be real. It would also culminate at the cross as she stood and watched her son die. All of this that Jesus did was to bring about God's work on earth. And everything that Jesus did in his earthly life and ministry, in his death and resurrection, reveals the hearts of men. It says at the end of verse 33 that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What you do with Jesus reveals a lot about you. What you do with Jesus reveals the most important thing about you, the state of your soul. Whether you accept him or reject him, you expose yourself to others. Mary would see many hearts revealed by her son. It would not always be pleasant. In your life, As you live your life and you reject Jesus, the consequences of your sin reveal your failure to believe and to follow Jesus. But new life and eternal life reveal true faith. I said earlier that that Simeon's life proves this out. That those who have truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have accepted him, not not, not just as Savior, it's impossible to separate the two. He is not just Savior, but he is the Lord of your life. 
And those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord bear it out in the way they live. They bear it out in who they serve. Jesus Christ is the revealer of our hearts. What will you do with Jesus? Because what you do with Jesus is not just about saying nice things or showing up at the right times, but it has to do with the most important decision you make in your life. Will you accept him as your Savior and Lord? And as Simeon makes this declaration, we meet a second individual coming to adore the Christ, and we observe her witness of, her, of him. We see the personal witness of the second person, Anna. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineal, the of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years of virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. The second person that Mary and Joseph and Jesus encounter this day is Anna. Now, her name is the Greek form of a Hebrew name, Hannah. And we learn here that, that she is a prophetess descended from the tribe of Asher. Throughout Scripture, this is not an unusual thing to see that God doesn't just speak to men, he speaks to men and women. Now, it is important to note that, 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 that the ongoing role, the ongoing prophetic role, God reserved that to be used by men. This is not a, a, a passage, we don't go to these passages to prove uh, that women can be pastors. But we do not know exactly what this term means for Anna's life. It could be that she, like others before her, had received revelation from God at some point in her life. It also could mean that she was one in the temple there who taught the scriptures to others. But we do learn that she is older. She had been married for seven years and then widowed. And now at 84 years old, we see a woman whose life has been devoted to serving her God. We read that she never left the temple, perhaps staying in one of the rooms that was adjacent to it. She spent her life praying and fasting before the Lord. What she wanted to do with her life is that she longed to know God more and to minister for him. And on this day, she too would see the Messiah and give God praise. Verse 38, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. As Simeon prophesies about the child, Anna approaches. Surely, if she's one who, who, who was at the temple all the time, I have no doubt that she and Simeon knew each other. And certainly they told her who this was he was holding. And with that knowledge of who Jesus is, she gives thanks to the Lord. She has spent her life serving God. And now she offers him praise for the provision of his son for salvation. She is thankful to God for what he has done. And then she takes what she has experienced that day. She takes this interaction with this baby who is the Messiah and carries it with her. And she tells it to all those from Jerusalem who were looking for the Messiah and believed in the promises of God. She knew who these people were. She had interacted with them. And now she goes to tell them, hey, I know who it is. I've seen him. What an amazing testimony 
Anna is. Here she is, an older woman praising God. You know, it is easier as you grow older in life to become drawn in or perhaps even bitter in life. Because let's be honest, if you're a little bit older, everything hurts. And you can't do as much as you used to do. But God is still good. He is still on the throne. And he is still worthy of your praise. The older generation has a lot to teach others about God and what he's done. And like Anna, that's exactly what should be happening within the body of a local church. That the older generation continues to pour into the younger the praises of God, the goodness of God. The identity of Jesus as the Messiah is a life-changing, life-altering thing. As the shepherds returned to the fields rejoicing in what they had seen and telling others, so too does Anna tell others. Undoubtedly, she knew many who had been watching and waiting. The time had come. The Savior had been born. To all who are longing to be made whole, Jesus has come. To all who are tired of sin, Jesus has come. To all who are in need of hope, Jesus has come. To all who are weary, Jesus has come. To all who are broken, Jesus has come. And to all who long for peace and rest in your soul, Jesus has come. Come, let us adore him. Jesus is the hope of salvation for all mankind. He is worthy of our faith, trust, and greatest praise. Jesus is the Savior of all. He gave himself to pay redemption's price. And it all began with his humility to come in human form. This week, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, let us be overwhelmed with the salvation offered in Jesus Christ. You can spend your entire life looking for help and hope Anywhere else, and you'll never find it. The only one who can offer you hope, peace, and eternal life is Jesus. He gave himself for you, and he calls you to himself today. And if you hear the message of the gospel, and you do not know where you will spend eternity, I invite you to respond to this gracious offer of Jesus Christ. And Christian, here is yet another reason to come and adore Jesus Christ. He is your Redeemer, He is your Savior, and He is the answer for your life. Let us never let it be easy to forget the price that Jesus paid to save us from our sin. This is the the message of the Messiah at Christmas. He is worthy of our praise. Not just in the words we say or in the songs we sing, but in the lives that we live. In the things that we do. In the things that pass through our minds every day. He is worthy to be praised and honored and glorified and lifted up by all of these things. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who is the Messiah. The Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Thank you for sending your Son to redeem, to buy us back from sin. 
sin that we have been enslaved to our entire lives. You died to pay that price. What love and grace and mercy is poured out on us in Jesus Christ. And we ask today that you would fill our hearts and lives with this theme. A theme of thankfulness for our Redeemer. That you would overwhelm us with the grace and goodness of God. We wretched sinners have experienced an incredible love that stepped from heaven and came to earth for us. And Lord, today I pray for one who may hear these words, who wrestles with eternity. Maybe they've even gone to church their entire life or made a profession of faith, but in their heart of hearts, they know. They know, and you know, they need you. Lord, would you break through? Would you break the rock of their heart and pieces as only your word can do and draw them to yourself? Would you help us as Christians to lay aside those sins that we hold on to, even those things that that aren't sinful in and of themselves, but draw us away from you? Would you help us to lay these things aside and follow you and you alone and give you the glory and the praise that you are due? Lord, we ask that as this week, as we go into Christmas, you would be magnified in and through our lives. In your name we pray, amen.